All right. Well, um, we're going to pick up where we left off uh, last time. We're talking about what I, in my notes here. I've just titled it Jacob's Journey. And <clears throat> and, and we, we talked about it last week. We got a little bit into um, some of the pictures of going into Laban's territory, leaving the father, going into Laban's territory and, and marrying Rebecca or I'm sorry, Rachel, uh, or Leah, then Ra- well, I guess kind of at the same time, but you know, you all know the story. And I, I guess what I want to do, I was thinking about this today. I want to continue with that story, but I want to, I want to do it today uh, or, or talk about it a little bit from the, I want to, I want to talk about the fulfillment first. When, when I'm, the, the way, the way that Old Testament scriptures become real to me, and we've talked about this a lot, I just, I was thinking about it today, is that the Lord begins to show your heart um, something, something real, uh, something real and living in Christ. The eyes of your heart begin to open and you begin to just come to a little bit of his awareness, which is the same way of saying his light or his understanding. Or, or spiritual understanding, which because spiritual understanding, you guys know, spiritual understanding is <clears throat> is not man's understanding of spiritual things; it's the spirit's understanding working in the heart of man, and and there and then there's a huge difference between those two things. So when when you come to a little bit of spiritual understanding, you you have this awareness of of something that's real in in Christ. Something as Paul says, all. The truth as it is in Christ, and, and there's something um, you see of, of the Lord, or something you see of, of uh, what it means to be joined to Him, or what, whatever you know, the eternal purpose of God, and and that that as that starts to be um, a real present view of your heart, then as you're going back, you don't necessarily have great language for it, or or, or a great way to describe it, even sometimes. But then as you're going through the Old Testament, you suddenly, because the thing has become a reality in your heart in the light, suddenly it, it, it jumps off the page at you so clearly in a bunch of stories that used to be just historical accounts of Jacob or, or whatever. Suddenly these things, there, there they are, and, and they couldn't possibly be testifying of, of of anything I mean you're not seeing, it's not like you're seeing the fullness of them but they're but they're telling the same story they're 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 describing they're testifying to um the same thing that the Lord is is opening your heart up to see and it's a wonderful thing and it's how the Old Testament comes alive in your heart and then the Old Testament you know confirms and establishes and gives more language to and pictorial representation for all of these things that the Lord is making real in your heart in his own light and so I say all that just to say um, that I want to talk a little bit about just kind of the fulfillment here, and then and then and what the Lord accomplished, and why a little bit of why, and then we'll go back and finish up this story of Jacob today if we can get through it, um, talking about or showing how the this this journey of Jacob testifies perfectly of what what we all know to be um as we often call it the round trip journey of Christ plus um what it means for us to be in him 
what it means to be covered with the blood, what it, how it is that we become um, part of what he takes out of the earth and joins himself to, and all the, all those are in this story. So anyway, we looked at, from a uh, painting with really broad strokes, we looked at, this is one of those pictures where the son comes out from the father, that's where Jacob starts, starts in his father's house, and he comes out, and he's coming out with a very specific purpose, and the purpose is to get, to, to, to get a bride, specifically, to get a bride or to get an inheritance, and then to come back to his father, and that's, that's, you know, that's what Christ does. Christ leaves the Father, humbles himself. You've all read Philippians 2 or whatever other place that mentions this in some detail. Humbles himself, takes nothing with him of what he had, of what he was in his Father's house, just uh, as Jacob does, goes only with the staff in his hand. And Jesus comes out of the Father's house, uh, enters the earth, and the purpose for him entering the earth is... To die, really, is that's, I mean, he taught, he healed, he did, he did things, but the, the, the primary reason that he had to enter the world, he could have taught, you know, through an angel as they did in the Old Testament, or he could have, um, you know, healed people through a prophet, but he came very specifically to die. He became a body you have prepared for me, and, and that body was to die. And, and so he goes and, but the, but the purpose of the dying is to, gather a people to himself and bring them out of that place that he died in and bring them back with him to the place, to the reality and to the relationship that he came from. Okay? Or or you could say it this way. You could say Jesus comes into, I mean, using some of the more uh, bridal language or, or, or uh, that kind of uh, typology. You could say that Jesus comes into this foreign land, foreign to him, foreign not because he didn't know about it, I mean, it but, but foreign because it had come to be so contrary to him. It, it was created to bear his image, and it had lost that image in the very beginning and was filled up with the image of another man and another uh, another government, another rule. So he comes in, and his purpose in going in, another way to say it, is that he goes in to find someone to marry to join himself to and then he'll have once he marries her once he joins himself to her then he has a right to take her out of her natural father's house and take because the husband uh you know as you see in all the uh, old testament pictures and stories the husband that marries the the, the woman then um She's no longer under her father's house. She's under his house. So then he has every right, having joined himself to or having married her, he has every right to take her out of her father's house and uh, bring him back to his own house, to go back to his father's house. And so, this is what Jesus does. And, and, and so many, there's a million pictures of this, and there's a, there's a, there's tons of descriptions of the fulfillment of this in the, in the New Testament. But Jesus comes out, and he he gathers. You could say he gathers for himself. I mean, again, you could say you could say it's a, an inheritance. You could say it's a, a camp of people. You could say it's a bride. Uh, you could say it's a flock, and he's the shepherd. I mean, there's lots of pictures. It's all talking about one reality from a bunch of different perspectives, right? So 
he goes into this hostile environment that's under the rule and 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 the dominion of an of the evil one. And this, you know, sometimes that's Pharaoh. In this case, it's Laban. Um, sometimes it's you know whoever Nebuchadnezzar. Or, or there's lots of different uh, pictures of of that. But in, in this case, it's Laban, and he goes. And in the midst of this place, uh, the world that Christ comes into, he establishes a judgment. And it's a it's a very it's a very specific and and perfect and complete judgment. It's a judgment, and that we've talked about a ton in lots of different classes. But but just to say it in, in a few words, it's a judgment that says, if you die with me, you can live with me. That's basically what he offers the world. He offers the world a death that has life on the other side. They're all dead. In sins and transgressions, and they're all facing, you know, the the physical death of their bodies eventually. But he offers them a different kind of death. He offers them just like in the land of Egypt when they go in, and and Moses goes in and and offers them, obviously spoken by the Lord, but offers them the death of the lamb. Um, and, and if they go into that death, the death of the lamb, which they do, then they can come out in the morning and have nothing more to do with the land of Egypt. If they refuse the death of that lamb, then they have to face death, face face the Lord, face destruction outside of that lamb. And um, so Jesus offers his judgment, and he, and he says he says things all the time, like you know, if you lose your life, you'll find life in me. Um, and that was always kind of how he was offering it. If you want to be joined to me, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross. That's another way he said it. And follow me. If you want to live, you have to die. If you want to, if you want to, you know, you have to fall on the rock and be broken, or the rock will fall on you and and you'll be ground to powder. Either way, you're going to die. But but one of those has life on the other side. And 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 he kept saying that. And and the point is that those who would see him, those who would see him and receive that judgment as their own judgment. Those who would paint that blood over their own door. Those who would tie that scarlet cord over their own window. Those who would say that that's me, I deserve, that's the death that I deserve. And, 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 and don't fight against that and actually accept it as the justice and the righteousness of God and also the mercy of God to put to death the man that I am so that I can live in and by the the man, so to speak, that he has be joined to him, bear fruit unto him, Romans seven four. That 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 we were made to die to the law and be be joined to another, that we might bear fruit, uh but bear his fruit unto God, more or less my my paraphrase, but it's something pretty close to that, Romans seven four. So but you have to to join with him. You have to die with him. To, to join with him, you, and I don't want to stress this because this is going to come into play a little bit in our story in a minute. But you have to see him. I mean, that's what he was doing. He was going around all of Israel, and they were looking at him, but they weren't seeing him. I mean, most of them weren't seeing him. They were looking at him, but they weren't. And and when when Peter, who had been walking with him already for a while, started to actually see him. And know who he was, Jesus said, this was not shown to you by flesh and blood. You Seeing me in my flesh is not how you came to this conclusion, Peter. My father has revealed me. So there was this seeing and this receiving and this, and, and, uh, and, and this willing to bear in yourself the judgment that was, that, that he was taking. Um, he was going to be the only one that could, that could, uh, pay, that 
Christ. He's the only one that can actually die that death, and yet we have to, in him, be baptized into that death, be conformed to that death. He drinks the cup, and then we have to also share in the cup that he drinks. And there's, again, the the stories abound of this in the Old Testament. Um, But that's what Jesus was saying to, remember James and John, they come up and they say, hey, can we be sitting next to you on the right and the left in your kingdom? And Jesus says, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And of course, they have no idea what he means by that, I'm sure. But I'm sure they're thinking some kind of, I don't know, who knows what they're thinking, something probably completely the opposite of what Jesus meant but he was talking about the 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 he was going to drink the cup of judgment the cup of God's wrath and fury against the Adamic man the fallen man and and, and Jesus drinks that cup and and that's what's going on there when he's uh you know he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane the night before the cross but he so he says to them you going can you drink my cup and they say yeah we can we can drink your cup, you know, whatever that means. And and Jesus says, there's this really interesting thing to them. He says, you will drink my cup. You know, you you will share my cup, actually. And and I'm sure they don't understand anything what's going on. And I'm sure they don't understand the pictures of this that go on in the story of like Joseph's, Joseph's life where the, the cup, the cup was put into jail and then the judgment of Pharaoh came and in three days was restored to his hand or, or the or the cup that was given to Benjamin and and the and 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 yet his brothers were willing to drink it for him you know they were willing to drink it so they all came back to Egypt and remember, remember when Joseph sent out the cup and like and and um I mean th- there's lots of types and shadows about this cup and we'll get to we'll get to these pictures but so uh that you have to you have to receive this judgment as your own judgment. You have to see it, recognize it, and and this is all by faith. This is all what the Lord. This is the faith that comes from the Lord, the light that that shines from Him that works in you. But you receive it, and and then this isn't about Jesus dying instead of you. This this isn't about you making a way for you to keep your life. This is not, that never entered the Lord's mind. This is about you being given a death. This is about you being allowed to lose your life in such a way that he can then become your life. This is about you recognizing a judgment and you you bear the reality of it. And you carry that division in yourself and you die with him and, that, and therefore you live with him. You die with him to that whole hostile land, that whole land of Laban, that whole land of Pharaoh. And that whole kingdom under which he controls and manipulates and lies. And that's all that Laban's doing in this land. If you, if you'll notice, he just keeps, what does he say? He's changed my wages ten times. You know, he's, he's pulling these tricks from the very beginning when he throws, uh, Leah in the tent after, uh, Jacob thinks he's married Rachel. And, and, and he's just trying to, he's trying to take the inheritance from him. He's trying to, whatever. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. But Jesus, so Jesus comes into this land. And and he establishes this judgment, and then he comes back to his father, and he now has he has a right because because we have we have received his death as our own because we have because he's married us, so to speak. He has become he has the right 
to take us out of our natural father's house, Adam, Satan, you know, kind of the same thing. Jesus called the Jews the sons of Satan. Satan is your father. It's kind of the same thing as saying the sons of Adam because that nature is the nature that governs the Adamic man. And, and, and so he comes and, and he doesn't leave his bride in the world. He doesn't leave his flock in that. He doesn't, you know, come and gather a bunch of, um, you know, Rachel, Leah, a bunch of kids, a bunch of flocks. He doesn't just come and he, and he, and he leaves, you know, leaves them and says, okay, guys, you know, have a good luck. Be back in a few thousand years. He doesn't do that. He takes them out with him. And that's exactly what Christ did through the cross. Now the body, yet, you know, he doesn't leave, that's what, he doesn't leave you in the world. He, he leaves your body in the world because your body is worldly. It's earthly. And to, from dust you came and to dust the body returns. But he takes your soul, raises it up, joins it with him, makes it alive with him, raises it with him and brings it in back with him to the Father's presence. So you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God and you are seated with him in heavenly places, citizens of heaven. Uh, of course, for a time having this treasure in earthen vessels, but nevertheless, he brought you back to where he was before he ever left. He brought you back to Bethel, the house of God, right? That's where he was right before he left, right when he left his father. He brings you back to Isaac, to, to the father. So he makes this complete circle. And, 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 and it's all the reason you can go, and I'm stressing this because of the pictures that point to it. Uh, the, the reason that you can go with him is because you saw and accepted and then became the living witness and expression of a judgment. Okay? Judgment happened first and then grace. Then then grace could be a reality. And you've heard me say this before, but I just think the church, I say it again because I think the church has it totally backwards. It's not grace and then judgment. That doesn't make any spiritual sense. It's judgment and then grace. First you're judged in the Lamb and then you can live by the life of the Lamb and have a relationship with God in the Lamb, the resurrected Lamb, which is a relationship of grace. And the church always talks about how we live in grace now and we're waiting for judgment. And I just want to tell you that that's, that doesn't make any sense. There, 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 there may or, there may be, and well, there is a, a, a sense in which you may face judgment. You may face the judgment in a way that is totally new to your eyes. You may have to, because when the light turns on in your heart, you face what God has already done. You face how he already sees things. You you see what he has judged and put away, what he has accepted. You see what has no place in him and what is him. And light brings you to a present and perpetual and future realization of that judgment. But the only way you could ever get into grace to begin with was by being judged. And every single type and shadow points to that. How'd they get out of Egypt, you know? They had to die first in a lamb. And they, they perpetually realize that death in all their sacrifices and offerings and at the altar at the front of the tabernacle and all of that. But it wasn't like it hadn't happened already. They just didn't know what happened. All right, that's a rabbit trail. So um, so he brings them out. And, and for those of you who arrived late, uh, I'm kind of talking about a little bit of the fulfillment here. And then I'm going to go back and tie it into the story of Jacob 
but Christ brings us out to himself and and leaves everything of the first behind, leaves everything of the flesh behind. And and yet in our mind, we don't understand. We don't it's not real to us in terms of our experience, our understanding. Christ brings us to his father and we still think like Paul says, why are you acting like mere men? You know? Or he says, since you've been raised with Christ, fix your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. For, for as to the earth, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. I mean, he's always, he's always dealing with them according to the finished work and, and rebuking them for their blindness and acting like, uh, mere men, you know? And so, what I'm saying that because though we come into a finished work, though we, we leave with Christ, he brings us where he is, we're raised up with him, um, Though the soul of man lives in the Lord, we we bring with us into Christ in the unrenewed mind, in the mind that doesn't see with his light. We take with us many thoughts and imaginations and high high things that have raised, risen up against the the true knowledge of God. We that's what Paul's talking about in, in 1 Corinthians ten. We take with us a whole smorgasbord of Adam's understanding and ideas and, and attempts at relating to God and the flesh and all this garbage that though it is not true of our relationship, it still is what we think we know. And and, and that's the whole re- revelation of Christ, the renewing of the mind or light shining in your heart and all of that is, is just this process whereby God makes real in you what is already real to him makes you live in the view of in the sight of in the reality of what he is seeing and the only thing that he is seeing with respect to you in other words you are coming to know even as you are known you are coming to comprehend as you have been comprehended of god that word there in Philippians, where we usually, it's usually translated apprehend. Paul says, I want to apprehend that for which I've been apprehended of God. That's actually the Greek word comprehend. And I'm not, he's not talking about your natural mind or intellect. He's talking about sp- spiritual understanding. It's a, a purely spiritual reality. It's, it's a, it's the heart. It's the inward man coming to see with the light of his spirit, comprehending, seeing, knowing that which God already sees, comprehends, and knows. And, uh, so, but, but here's what we have to understand. Even though there's nothing of the first man, first creation, first covenant that actually makes it through the cross into the second, we bring with us in our imagination, in our blindness, things that have no, we, we, we in our, I, you know, in some ways I don't like the word understanding because it sounds so natural, but I don't know a better word. So we bring with us in our understanding things that have no place, things that wouldn't be there if the light would shine and show us that we're holding on to nothing. We're holding on to a lie. I mean, lies are very real, but there's no substance to them. Do you know what I mean? They, 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 they can control your life. You can live in fear of a lie for 50 years and, and then, and then suddenly wake up and realize, you know, I could be afraid of, uh, flying chickens. Wait, I guess chickens do fly. <laughs> that doesn't work. Uh, flying alligators. Um, and, and, and I could spend my whole life, you know, ducking them and, and go, going out and, and, you know, preparing a little alligator shelter 
thing to hide in and whatever. And then someone finally shows me that there's no such thing. And why am I talking about that? Oh, because lies are very real to you, but that, but there's no substance to them. That, that's why they're lies. There's no, there's no reality to them, but they're as real as they are to you. And that's, that's true in the natural understanding. It's, it's a whole bunch more true in the, in spiritual understanding. What's real to your soul? Is what you're gonna live, you're gonna, it's gonna be your goal, it's gonna be your identity, it's gonna be your, it's gonna be what you fear, it's gonna be what you live for, it's gonna be what you run from, it's gonna be why you pray, it's gonna be why you go to church, or what you think church is, whatever's real to your soul. You are a living expression of whatever reality is most real in your soul. Your life is a living testimony. You don't have to try to give test. You don't have to go testify to it. You are the testifying. You are the testimony. And and for most of us, that's just basically. I mean, sadly, that's a testimony of, of of a man that God doesn't even have relationship with anymore. We're a testimony of Adam, and not a testimony of new life in Christ. We're not a testimony of Christ formed in us because we don't know. Not because God hasn't brought us into Christ, if we're believers. Simply because. As Paul says so many times, or do you not know that you who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Or do you not know that you are a temple, that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Or do you not know? And he, he's always proclaiming truth to them. And my, what I'm trying to say is that even though we come into this finished work, we bring with us a whole bunch of wrong, you can call them idols. Things that we think are real and we worship and we live for that that God doesn't recognize. And, and, and here's the cool thing about it. God doesn't recognize them as hindrances. And they, they are, they're, they're hindrances in our experience of knowing him because they're lies. But they don't actually change the nature of how he sees us or relates to us. He's always relating to us according to his finished work, according to his perspective, according to his view. And... And, 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 and really, the devil can't really accuse you of those things either because he has no right to, because those things, they, and this is what, this is, I'm trying to think of how to word this because this is so cool in this picture, this story that we're, we're looking at tonight, but he has no right to come into Christ and accuse you of something that's not part of his realm and it's he can't condemn you for what's already condemned he can't condemn you for what has no uh that's no longer part of his realm or his you're out you've left behind his his government his control his manipulation and he has no right to condemn you now in Christ where all things there are under the blood all things are covered in Christ. All things are clothed with Christ, baptized into Christ, completely wrapped in Christ, and, 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 and what God is seeing in that relationship is Christ. Christ your life, Christ your righteousness, Christ your wisdom, Christ your sanctification, Christ, Christ, and Christ. Alright. So, what does this have to do with the story of Jacob? This 
is the story of Jacob. Jacob goes into this land. We talked about last time. He goes into this hostile territory. He goes in with only a staff in his hand, returns as two large companies. You have both the pictures of the bride and the pictures of the shepherd with a flock, both of which, you know, Jesus is the fulfillment of and talks about that. There's the wife of the lamb. There's the, I am the good shepherd. You know, the, the, the sheep and shepherd language is all throughout scripture, old and new. He uh, he he goes he goes in and and we talked about the the marriages last time the first and the second Rachel and Leah or Leah and Rachel and the deception there with Laban but then this whole thing about the striped flocks or the the flocks of Jacob again you have this this Lord of the hostile land the the, the prince of this world the God of this age. And he is doing everything in his power to to minimize Jacob's dividends, to put it that way. He's trying to have Jacob return to his country with nothing. I mean, he, I think he'd rather keep – I obviously would like to, to make Jacob a slave, kind of like Satan says, you know, all this I'll give to you in my land if you bow down to me. And, 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 uh, and, and Jesus says, you know, that's not going to happen. But um, – and Jacob won't bow down to Laban, but the best thing he can then do is try to keep all that rightfully was his, was Laban's, from being joined to Jacob's inheritance. So he does, and he does that with his with his daughters, and then he does that with these flocks, and um, and, and so the goats here um, are are us. The ones who come out of the of the land of Laban with Jacob rightfully belonging to him, right? And um, and and there's a controversy here that starts to happen in this story. A lot of a lot of cheating and manipulating and changing of wages, and the controversy is over which sheep belong to who. Which ones are Laban's? Which ones are rightfully Laban's? And which ones are are, are rightfully uh, Jacob's? And Lake, Laban just says they're all his. You know, even though Jacob has has cared for, unlike Laban, Jacob has cared for them and bared the you know stayed out in the cold for them. He says and bared the loss of them for himself and and and. And and it doesn't matter. Laban says they're all mine, and then J- and then J- Jacob makes this little deal with him and says, "Okay, look, I'll take the striped and the spotted ones, and you can have uh, you can have all of the and 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 it, kind of the implication there is that the striped and spotted or motley ones, or however your Bible reads it, were were like the the lesser valued ones, and the, all the solid black ones or whatever, or solid white or whatever. I don't know what color they were." Those can be those can be Laban's, and then Laban says, "Yeah, that sounds like a really good deal. Let's do that." And then he runs that day. Uh, he he sends his sons out, and they they take all the striped and speckled and spotted ones out, and they put a distance of three days between them and and Joseph. So Joseph's, you know, looks like he's got no, Joseph. I'm sorry, I mess up these names all the time. So if I so if you hear me, I call Jacob Joseph and Laban. I don't even know what I call him, but um, so Jacob is. It, it looks like he's not going to have any inheritance at all, and then he does this weird thing, and it, and it, it is weird, and, and and in fact, it's one of those many many things that if it didn't have a, it didn't 
didn't correspond so nicely, so perfectly with a with a with the reality of seeing and knowing Christ, it would have no explanation. It would make no sense at all. And I think that the whole, I really I think the whole Old Testament is like that. Even though we try to make natural sense out of these spiritual pictures, excuse me, the only the only true sense that any of these pictures have is the spiritual fulfillment that 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 tells us why God even created the picture, why God even created the type and shadow. Why why in the world did God have Jacob put a bunch of staffs down by the water, stripe them, peel them, you know, or whatever, so that they saw so that they would show these white stripes uh, markings in them and then have then have the thirsty goats go down to the water and while they're looking at the staves that are striped they mate they reproduce and they bear in themselves the flock that comes out from there is the is the reproduction of the, of the very thing that they're seeing why in the world would god have them would have jacob do that and the answer is simply because that's what happens when we truly become part of Christ's flock. We, in our thirst, go and we behold a judgment. We see a staff. We see a cross. We see something. And and the increase that happens as a result of our seeing it is an increase of him. It's his own increase. It's it's the cross itself, it's the power of the cross, the work of the cross, reproducing itself, so to speak, in a company, in a people, in a flock that bears its very image. We become marked ones, we become crucified ones, we become the the dead who have come to life in Christ, we become those who are... Christians, which is, you know, the origin, of, the, the origin of that name is just little Christ, or not that we are divine in ourselves, obviously, but that we, we bear Him. We bear the life of another. We bear the loss of one man and the gain of another man. We're conformed to His death, uh, and, and yet we're, we are made uh, partakers of His resurrection. All that is true of the one who died on that staff, that cross, all the one who bore those stripes, that becomes true of those who behold it too. It's, we look, we behold, and in our thirst, we come down to that water, we see, we receive that judgment, we bear the image of that judgment, and those become the inheritance of Jacob in and 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 those ones become the ones that he has the right to take out with him and go back to his father and 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 and, and Jacob can't I'm not Jacob Laban can't stop it they belong to Jacob Laban tries to stop it we'll get to that in a second and he can't you see, so Jacob peels these things, and 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 we've talked about staffs and sticks in, in, throughout the types and shadows classes so far. They're everywhere. You know, you can go. You know, Moses' staff. Um, it's the th- it's the thing out from which all the judgments of God come. And then after the judgments of God, I mean, I'm talking about the Nile turning to blood, and the, 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 that staff actually becomes a, a serpent that swallows, it becomes a curse, and it swallows up all the other curses, swallows up all the other staffs. And then that staff, 
you know, it, it also it strikes a rock and water comes out of it. And, and it's the cross. And then that staff is thrown into bitter water and it becomes sweet. And then that staff is puts a serpent on it, a bronze serpent on it in the wilderness. And, 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 and everyone who looks upon it, it's very much like this story, everyone who looks upon it... Um, is it come you know is saved from the snake bite you know and then that staff later um Aaron's staff buds the you know the uh, almond branches and 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 I clear and then it's put in put into the ark and I mean there's all these there's tons of them and I'm not trying to to, to prove that tonight, I think we've done that in some other classes, and maybe I'll do it again one day. Just go through the dozens of verses that where the where the where the staff is used as a picture of some some view of the work of the cross. It's just everywhere, and here it is again: a staff stuck down in front of a bunch of sheep. This time, striped, uh, you know, slashed, peeled, cut, whatever, and and there 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 come the the goats. And I just, you know what, guys, I just, I think it's awesome that God doesn't even care to try to make these stories make natural sense because their only sense is their spiritual fulfillment. I can, I can picture, I can picture thousands, maybe millions of people in the, in the last 2,000 years, 4,000, whatever, I don't know, whenever the story was recorded, 3,000 years ago, the story of, of Jacob and the, and Laban and the strike. I can picture millions of people reading this story and saying, "That's the dumbest thing I've ever read. That that doesn't make any sense. There's absolutely no." And, and maybe shutting the book, maybe maybe ripping that page out of their Bible, maybe skipping it and just not, try not to think about it because it's so ridiculous. And that doesn't stop God from doing what He's doing. What's He doing? The only thing He's ever doing in the Old Testament, He's testifying. And, and the sense, the meaning, the significance, the reality behind that testimony is completely hidden until you see the one of whom it is testifying. And that's why the guys on the road to Emmaus said, did not, uh, Jesus opens their hearts and shows them all the things that testify of him, starting with uh, starting with Moses and the, and the law and the prophets, and they say, "Did not our hearts burn within?" It's like this is the first time I've ever read the Bible. Why? Because I've I've never seen the one of whom it's all speaking, and and he just the Lord, if if you don't want to see that one, then he'll let you just read a story and say it doesn't make any sense, because the heart that wants to see him will see him in the way that makes the story make sense. Do, do you know what I mean by that? The heart that really wants to come to the water will see a, a, a judgment that becomes that 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 you begin to bear in yourself, and you become the image of, and the representation, the reflection of, and, and then and then one day you'll be reading that silly story about these goats, and and you'll say, "Wait a minute, I'm one of those goats, and I saw that staff, and I'm bearing that image, and and I have no place in I have no inheritance in Laban's land, and I've come out with him and raised up with him, and my true my true identity is is part of the inheritance of Christ that he brought with him back to his father. And the whole thing just just gets filled up with uh with meaning. So, um, 
Okay, well, let's see here. So, so anyway, he goes out, right? He, he, he takes this big company, this inheritance, and, and they separate from, um, and he, he leaves without telling Laban. And he takes his wives, and he takes his sons, and he takes his, his flocks, the ones, and, and, and in a sense, he pillages the camp of, of Laban, Again, a story, a picture that repeats over and over in the Old Testament. He pillages the enemy's camp. He doesn't just, he doesn't just take a few and, and, and go. He, he, he ends up, from, from Laban's perspective, robbing them of what was his. And in a sense, you could say it's true. I mean, it, it came out from what was rightfully, rightfully Laban's to begin with, just like we were right, rightfully sons of the enemy or, or sons of Adam. But he transforms those goats into his own flocks. That's what, that's why he has a right to them. He transforms the goats into his own flock by showing them the cross and causing them to be his by bearing that image. The image that, that has nothing to do with, um, Laban's flocks. They, 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 they you know, they agreed that that would be his, his wages. Um, okay, but then, then they go out and Jacob is returning to his family. I mean, returning to his father and he's bringing with him the, this is in Genesis 31, I think now. And, and he's going out of this land. He's leaving the whole thing behind. Nothing. And this is, remember we talked just, and I was talking about the fulfillment first. I said, we come out of, of, of Adam. We come out of the, the world and, and nothing really Nothing really comes with us in terms of God's perspective, in terms of the finished work. You can't really bring flesh into Christ. It, it collides with the cross and never makes it in. But you, you bring all of the imaginations and darkness and idols in your heart with you when you come out. And they have to be dealt with in Christ. The Lord begins to deal with you according to those imaginations and idols in, in in his son, that's where they, that's where he begins to shine light and point them out, and that's what Rachel did. What does Rachel do? She grabs hold of her father's household gods, and she takes something with her that belongs to her natural birth. It belongs to her old. It belongs to her natural father's house. She brings something in her own understanding, her own idols, and and it's something that has no place in the new. In fact, Jacob doesn't even know it's there. He doesn't. He does. It. He. She's taken it with her, but and Jacob doesn't even see it. He he can't see it. He won't ever see it. Uh, and, and it ends up, I think, getting buried. Um, I mean, long uh, several chapters later, it gets buried at the at the at the um, the base of a of a giant oak tree. Uh, it gets buried at the cross. Eventually, is my point. But. For now, it's there. It's in Rachel's understanding. She's taken it with her. You know, what is an idol? It's, it's just something that exists to, to, to you as part of your life or identity or God or whatever that doesn't exist to God. It's, it's having some kind of, whether they have physical form or not. In the Old Testament, they usually had physical form, but that's just because everything in the Old Testament had physical, physical form. And, and, you know, the temple had physical form, and the sacrifices had physical form, and, and the, and, and whatever, the mountain of God had physical form, and, and everything had physical form. Because it's all a testimony. 
and so did the idols. Uh, as you read throughout the whole, whole Old Testament, the idols usually had physical form. In our in our case, they usually don't. We our our idols are usually invisible, but equally imaginary, and, and contrary to Christ. It's just whatever um, you know, whatever representation of darkness exists in our soul that doesn't correspond to Christ, whether we carve that representation of darkness into a golden image or a wooden image or not, it's still, it's there, you know? And, um, and so here, here she is returning with Christ, with, with Jacob Christ to her father, and she's taken with her some darkness, an idol, something that belongs to the mind of her first birth, the mind of her hostile father's land. And, 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 and Laban tries to pursue and claim that idol. And he comes bolting out of his territory wanting to, wanting to put a claim on, wanting to put to death whoever it was that took something of his and, and before he gets to Jacob God appears to him in the dream and says you can't you have no right you can't go he said literally he says you cannot say anything to Jacob whether for good or for bad you have nothing to do with Jacob anymore Jacob has been completely crucified to you and you're crucified to him he's you're not you're out of your territory now you're out of your he left your land and you have no right and you have nothing, absolutely nothing that you can make a claim to in this land. It doesn't matter if, it, if it's a darkness that represents something of your – maybe it's an idol that represents something of your land. It's gone now. It's, uh, it's, it's part of Jacob's camp and he doesn't see it. I don't see it and you won't see it either when you go looking for it. And so he goes and looks for it, right? And – uh <laughs> I just, I just love the way the Lord just says, "Don't say anything. Don't do anything to him, good or bad. You have, you, you're not. He's gone. He's out of your, he's out of your realm now, Laban." So Laban arrives in the camp of Jacob to make his accusation, and he makes, and that's what he does, you know. And Satan, of course, is called the accuser of the brethren, and he, he tries to point out these things that God, um, that that God doesn't recognize, and he has no right to accuse because we we don't. He he's out of his land, and we're out of his land, and uh, and so he he starts to accuse and says, you know, um, you you took my he he says you took my wives, you took my grandkids, you took my goats, you know, you took everything. It's all mine, but you know, and I would be killing you here, but your God appeared to me and told me that I couldn't. But you know, who's got my idols? And then Jacob says, the person in whose tent you find your idols. Or in whose belongings you find your idols, they they can die, and and no one finds them because and it's kind of a strange picture here, but because they're covered in the blood, because and in this story that picture comes, um, you know, uh, Rachel hides them, she sits on them while she's during her menstrual cycle, and she sits on them on top of the camel. And and he has no right to look under there. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's kind of a, a weird story to talk about. But but it's still, it, it, I don't think it's that weird for for the Lord. And and testimonies and types and shadows are always a little bit um, strange, naturally speaking. 
But what the point is that he had no right to look there because they were under the blood and nobody else knew. You don't see Laban finding them and you don't see Jacob ever aware of them and nothing happens because um, they were covered in the blood. Now, when people talk about, and I need to wrap this up here, but when, when Christians talk about things being under the blood, I don't know about you guys, but I used to hear that a lot when I was younger and... And, and it just was, uh, it was one of those things that I remember this one time this lady was getting, she said she saw someone trying to steal her car out the window of some building or something. And she, she was telling me this is like a testimony. And I was thinking it was really cool at the time. But then I stopped later and said, what does that even mean? But she was saying that she saw this person trying to break into her car and she started pleading the blood of Jesus over her car and saying, my car is under the blood and this and that. And, and somehow the guy like broke the window but couldn't steal the car or something. And, and it was all because of the power of the blood. And I just remember thinking, oh, I don't know. I was, I don't know why that stuff sticks with me, but it, 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 I was just a kid, you know. And I was, I was thinking, oh, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. But then I was thinking later, maybe it was years later. I don't know. But I was thinking, what does that mean to plead the blood? And my car is under the blood, you know. I was like, that's that's kind of weird. But so I, I mean, I don't even know what that means, and I don't, I, I don't think it means anything, frankly. I think she was lucky. The guy, you know, didn't know how to hotwire a car or something but um but my my point is that we we like we this is one of those phrases that we throw around we don't really know what it means sometimes to people it just kind of means that oh i'm under the blood it means i'm forgiven or some people it means that a bad guy can't take your car i don't know but what what i what i really think i think it means a lot more than just being pardoned by god i mean i think it has to do with god recognize it. When something's under the blood, then God recognizes it as dead. That's what blood says. Blood is life poured out, you know. The life's in the blood. The blood's poured out. If it's under the blood, it's dead. And 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 if if God has covered something in the blood, as as you see in whether it's when he sprinkles the blood over all of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai or whatever, planting the blood under the, over the doors when they go into their, when, it, it's not just like you're, you're, you, it's not just like a sign that says forgiven. You're going into the death of something. You're putting yourself in a place of death. Do you see what I'm saying? And so it's, it's not, Jacob couldn't see it and, and Laban couldn't find it. Not, not because it was forgiven, but because it was already judged and dead it was part of it was recognized as being dead dead to god uh, and 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 that's when we when we're saying that we're um when we're saying that we're under the blood we're saying and whether we realize it or not we're saying i'm crucified with christ i'm baptized into his death the blood doesn't just protect your car the blood kills you. If you go into that blood-covered door, then you're you're crucified to one world, and it's crucified to you. You're baptized into a death. You're hidden in Christ. You're buried with Him. You're ending your relationship to flesh because God's ending his relationship to flesh with that blood. He's putting it to death and bringing you out in a whole new man, a whole new creation under a whole new covenant. And so anyway, in this story, she has the idols under the blood and, 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 and no one, they're only real to her. 
They're only real to her, because Jacob doesn't recognize him, doesn't condemn her for him, and Laban can't either. And eventually, like I said, later on, Jacob makes this comment about, um, we are going back to Bethel. I think, I'm trying to think, I think it's a few chapters later, but he says, we're going back to Bethel where the Lord appeared to me. Therefore, everyone, whatever idols you've brought with you, go bury them at the, at the base of this giant oak of Mamre or something like that. I can't remember exactly how it says it, but, and, and that's, I think, where those idols end up. So I'll stop with that and, uh, 